and welcome back to another episode of Guideposts in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and your operations moving forward. My name is Julie Myers-Wood, and I'm the CEO of Guidepost Solutions. Today, I'm honored to be talking with Guidepost founder and chairman, Bart Schwartz, about integrity monitorships and how the role of the monitor can be an effective tool for companies to identify problems and implement change. For more than 30 years, Bart has worked on a wide array of matters involving investigations, compliance, and monitoring. He is a former chief of the criminal division of the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York and has an extensive background investigating and overseeing prosecutions for financial and business fraud and other criminal activities. Now in the private sector, many of Bart's assignments come from major government organizations, including the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York and the Central District of California, the New York State Attorney General, the Manhattan District Attorney, and many others, including the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey and the California Attorney General. He is a founding member and on the board of the International Association of Independent Corporate Monitors. Some of his more notable assignments include serving as the appointed independent monitor to oversee General Motors' compliance with its deferred prosecution agreement from its recall of defective ignition switches. He also monitored four treaties to repatriate and compensate boys who were trafficked from four countries to the United Arab Emirates. Currently, Bart's appointment as the New York City Housing Authority Federal Monitor is driving systemic change throughout the entire agency to ultimately improve the day-to-day lives of its more than 600,000 residents. It's no secret that Bart is the best in town, the best in the business, and last year he was named Best Consultant and Advisor from Compliance Week. There's really no better person here um, or available to talk about monitorships than Bart. Thanks so much for coming here today, Bart. Well, thank, thank you very much for those kind words, Julie. Oh, it's I could keep on going, but I think they want to hear you talk. <laughs> okay. Um, Bart, as someone who has served in various monitoring assignments since the mid-1980s, you have seen a lot of positive outcomes for a company subjected to a monitorship. Tell us more about that. I'd be glad to, uh, Julie. Uh, It's worth thinking a little bit about how monitorships uh, started. Uh, And my first one that I did was in the 1980s. It was at a time when prosecutors and regulators were trying to find a way to prosecute businesses or the people involved in businesses, but keep the businesses running because for one reason or another, it was an important part of the economy or it was the fair and the right thing to do. So they looked for an approach which could influence the culture at the company, keep it on the straight and narrow, stay in business, but also prosecute and regulate those who are doing, doing the wrong things. And so the first company that I uh, monitored was actually a concrete company in uh, New York City when there was a there was a series of prosecutions against many of the concrete uh, companies, and uh, everyone realized that uh, they still needed concrete. So that uh, started a monitorship uh, program for a number of of companies, and I had one of those uh, companies. It's really uh, expanded dramatically. Uh, since uh, since then, uh, with the concept of 
a monitor or a person or an organization that can positively influence another organization or entity and bring about structural change and look and to be forward-looking. It's not an investigation. It's not finger-pointing. It's trying to be uh, as helpful as one can be to improve the culture and the, the work of a company that has had a, had a problem. Uh, you, you can't be naive. You have to be vigilant. You have to look out for things that might go wrong again. But the real focus is really future-looking uh, and uh, being constructive. Well, in terms of specifics and, and being forward-looking and being constructive, what sort of things do you think make a good monitorship? Well, there are a number of factors. Uh, this may not, not sound terribly exciting, but a lot of it is process-related because even if you find that a company's current structure with its current employees is doing an excellent job, you know those people won't be in, in there forever. You'll know there'll be changes, and uh, people are people. There will be problems. So what you want to try to do is build controls, audit trails, regardless of who is in a particular uh, position, and ensure that there's a way to track what's being done. I actually focus less on compliance than I do on ethics. Uh, but when you think about compliance, many people say it's value-based. But in the, in the, at the end of the day, it's really still based on law and requirements. Uh, it's not totally value-based. If you're, if you're looking at things from an ethical standpoint, then you are looking at value-based uh, decisions. So it's important to try to influence uh, the culture as you go along. And there, there are many different ways that, that you might do that, starting from the hiring decisions that companies make, how they choose employees, how they test uh, employees to see if they are a good fit for, for a company, uh, to the uh, tone at the top that everybody talks about. But the fact is, the top is at different places for different people in companies. So the tone really has to be throughout uh, the company. Uh, one of the things I like to do is create ethical ambassadors within the company, not by adding employees or adding additional people, but by taking people who are already respected within a company and asking them to go out there and talk about compliance, talk about ethics, talk about doing the right thing. If you do that, you start to influence people. It can take some time, but you can change. I've seen it happen. You can change uh, the way, uh, what a company's culture is. Absolutely. I think a good monitor can definitely help make some differences within a, a company's culture. One thing I know that you're very focused on, including these ethical ambassadors, is utilizing company resources when you serve as a monitor. Talk a little bit about uh, your uh, practice of doing that and how you think it benefits the company longer term. Uh, certainly. And I think it's a very important uh, element. I think more and more people are doing it now. Uh, but frankly, I early on, I started uh, to recognize the, the value of it. it and it's, it's really quite simple when you think about it. Usually when you're brought in as a monitor, it's not that a whole company is corrupt. 
but that individuals were corrupt. It's usually that most of the people remaining in the company uh, don't want to be corrupt and don't act corruptly. They want to do their jobs and they want to be proud of where they work and they want to do work conscientiously. So the starting point is that there's probably a big, large cadre of people within a company who can be helpful to the monitorship and be supportive of the monitorship. Uh, so there was, I think there were several reasons that I, that I, I turned to this as a, as a way of working with companies. One is nobody knows the company better than the employees themselves. So you get, if you're working with those employees, you're getting an insight that you can't have by just helicoptering in. The second thing is that you're teaching the people who are working with you how to do things the right way and the right way to approach problems and how to continue to follow the uh, cultural, the proper cultural path. And uh, third thing is that they have certain skills that you can use because they know the industry, they uh, may have been an internal audit, they may have done other things. And fourth, and maybe the, the most important, is that they stay behind when the monitor leaves. Now, good monitorship has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you can leave behind employees who are a believer in doing the right things the right way, then you've really uh, accomplished something. So I, I, what I usually do when I start a monitorship is I take a look at the primary area I look at for employees is internal audit or whatever uh, is similar to internal audit. And I want to see whether the past work of that group has been a quality work. And I'll look at their past audits. And if I think that the internal audit group is a strong group and has done good work, then I will start to work with them. I will rely perhaps on their, some of their past audits. I might do joint audits with them. Uh, I may talk to them before I decide where I want to focus my uh, attention. And I'll, and I'll work uh, with uh, that group to help set a work plan uh, for the monitorship as a whole. So, you know, in, in summation, the key is they know the company, they know the industry, they know uh, they want to do the right thing, and they stay when, when I leave. And that's, that's critical. Bart, one additional challenge in monitorships is dealing with not only one, but two or even three regulators. Um, it's not just a U.S. regulator that is imposing a monitorship anymore, but often you have to work with foreign regulators as well. Um, tell me a little bit about how you successfully work with foreign regulators and a monitored company and whether there are any differences that come into play when there are multiple regulators that are involved in a monitorship. Sure. And, and I think the key to this is what the relationship is between the regulators even before the monitor is appointed. So in some cases where uh, I've been the monitor of a uh, foreign, a non-US based company, and the US regulators have not been working with the regulators in that other country, uh, they are surprised, the regulators in the other country are surprised when I show up. And they're not always pleased. Uh, when uh, I show up. So uh, I have to spend time working with them to understand what my role is as a monitor and that I'm not there to step over the boundaries 
onto what the foreign regulators function is or to try to interfere with what they're doing. And I've been successful at, the, at that, but fortunately, in most cases, the regulators these days work together. They cooperate in the investigations. They even cooperate in how fines are uh, imposed and other penalties. So it's a much easier operation for me knowing that the regulators are talking to each other and the regulators probably uh, in advance agreed upon which country would appoint the monitor, maybe even agree on what country the monitor would come from, and generally speaking, what the monitor's role would, would be. Uh, but it can be very complicated, even with that kind of cooperation, where in uh, foreign countries you have various laws protecting uh, data, personal information, blocking statutes. Uh, so you have to be very careful in each of those uh, countries that you're doing the right the, doing the right thing. And beyond that, there are different cultures in in the in the countries, and you want to be uh, respectful of those cultures. In some in some cultures, for example, the idea of an 800 number or similar uh, device where people can call in anonymous tips about co-employees uh, or, or others is not an accepted practice. And it's not uh, accepted as valuable or reliable information. So you have to know what it is within the country and how, how these things uh, work uh, as, uh, before you go into it and as you, as you work your uh, inquiries and you uh, try to uh, help help the company change, but it has to change within its culture. I think that's I think that's very true, um, very true, Bart. Uh, one of the things that can also really influence a monitorship, besides the addition of multiple regulators, is who the monitor is. And while companies sometimes can pick their monitors, other times they can nominate a group of several monitors for consideration by the government. Other times, of course, the government foists the monitor upon upon the company. Um, so there's a variety of different ways that a monitorship can, can start and a monitor can be appointed. But in instances where the company has some sort of a role in who the monitor will be, what do you think are important considerations for the company to take in place to ensure that the monitorship will be most successful? Well, let's talk a little bit about the skills that a monitor should have because it's quite broad uh, and quite varied. You have to be vigilant, but uh, you do not want to be accusatory. You want to uh, develop a good working relationship, but still have some distance between the company uh, and the and the monitor. Uh, sometimes you have to be a cheerleader, uh, a teacher, a mediator. All the you know. I've been in situations where the government's interpretation of the deferred prosecution agreement is different from the company's interpretation of the agreement. And uh, before you try to enforce the agreement, it's helpful to get the two sides to, uh, together to say, you know, here's really what we meant. Here's what we hope to accomplish with that section of the agreement. And then the monitor can go forward rather than finding out at the end of the day that one of the parties uh, disagrees completely with what you were doing or, or what, you, what uh, resulted. Uh, probably the most important thing 
for initially that a company uh, can do is establish a uh, within the company that the company wants to get value out of the monitorship. Don't think about it as an additional punishment. Certainly the monitor should never think of it in those terms. The company should want to get value out of the process. And um, uh, a couple of ways to do it from the beginning are for the company to appoint a single point of contact for the monitor. And that single point of contact should be somebody in the company who is respected, not someone who's out the door uh, ready to retire. That'll send a very different message. If it's somebody who's respected, then it gives credibility to the company saying we want to get value uh, out of this uh, out of this process. And sometimes I talk to regulators, they ask me about uh, uh, deferred prosecution agreements and what should go in them. I always recommend that they require that the monitor and the company together prepare a work plan to submit to the government or the regulator to review. A work plan usually covering, say, the first 90 or 120 days. That, ha that has a number of values. The first value I find in it is that it forces the, the monitor and the company to start working together to achieve a common result. Uh, the second is that they get to, to know each other and understand where uh, there may be issues that need to be addressed uh, first, priorities, or where, you know, I've had it happen where a company would say to me, please don't start in this department because they just went through an extensive internal audit and they're really behind on their work. Please move it to the second quarter or the third quarter or the first quarter of next year. Uh, and, and I'll do that. Uh, and then you present the work plan to the regulator or the um, uh, uh, agency involved, and they get to see uh, a, uh, an effort that the, the monitor and the company together produced. They may have some changes, some questions, whatever it is, but it is the start of a, uh, a cooperative, forward-looking uh, 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 process. Uh, that uh, should lead to lead to changes and permanent changes. So I, if, I, if there's one thing that I would emphasize, it's getting the message across that the, uh, the monitored company wants to get value out of the process. Oh, I definitely agree with that. There's been such a difference in companies who want to get value out of the process and engage productively versus some companies that are just kind of watching the clock, right? Yeah. Um, and that um, if they're just watching the clock, they're not going to change their culture and they're not going to prevent um, similar problems from occurring again in the future. So I, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I like the watching the clock is really a very good example. I had one company which clearly was uh, holding back on giving me documents and things that I needed uh, to eat up time so that the two years or whatever it was would run out. So at, at some point, uh, I think it took me maybe six months, but I, I, I met with them and I said, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm keeping track of the time I think you have delayed me, intentionally delayed me. And uh, at the end of the two-year monitorship, I'm going to ask the government to extend the monitorship 
for the every day that I thought you delayed me. Uh, all of a sudden, I got cooperation, <laughs> and, and it was a much smoother, a much smoother process. Uh, that's a good uh, uh, trick, trick of the trade. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, frankly, you had to pull a lot of you know new tools out during COVID, right? I know you just recently finished an international monitorship that started pre-COVID, and then you finished up kind of during COVID. Talk a little bit about. Um, some of the ways you had to evolve and change to do effective monitoring uh, during COVID and uh, remotely, especially for an international engagement. Yeah, I, le I learned a couple of things during that process. And COVID in and of itself, of course, was a terrible problem. But it's not. it was not just the virus. It was the fact that the business environment was so bad that the company was really suffering financially. So uh, it really was a double hit that I had to try to, I had to say navigate because it was a shipping company, but navigate uh, around. I turned much more, as we all have done, to virtual interviews, not traveling around uh, the world. And, I, and, I, and they were, those virtual interviews worked better than I, than I thought uh, they would. Uh, the, the company was very cooperative. Uh, making senior leadership available on a more regular basis. So that helped me feel more comfortable about the process that was taking place. They changed senior leadership uh, during uh, the pandemic. And uh, uh, I was able to spend time and our team was able to spend time with the new uh, senior leadership. It was a little, it was different in that somewhat as all of the work we're all doing these days, was different because of the uh, use of technology as much as we did. But in terms of the substance, it really wasn't very. It really wasn't very different. We talked about the same things. We reviewed the same issues. Uh, we may have spent a little more time, for example, looking at emails than we might have otherwise done. But in that particular case, it was important to see the advice that was being given in the emails. So it might not have been any any different. Um, uh, there was more uh, electronic traffic within the company. In some ways, that made it easier. Instead of people just being on the phone and were not hearing what they were talking about, they were doing much more with uh, emails uh, and other ways that they were preserving information. That made it a little bit uh, easier for us. And then as the economy started to turn in that particular industry, uh, uh, we we actually didn't think we had to make major changes in what we'd been doing. Uh, the first first year, we spent a lot of time um, evaluating what needed to be done. We spent the second year helping the company implement the changes. And the third year was really uh, a, a muscle memory test. Uh, were, the, were those implemented changes sticking? Were they working? Do we need to make any changes? And it really worked quite, uh, quite smoothly uh, with the management, uh, with the employees, uh, with the regulators who we reported to on a um, uh, constant basis. Uh, and at the, at the end of the day, I think it, it was uh, almost as effective. And the only reason I hesitate saying is as effective, because I really do believe showing up adds a lot to the process spending time with people, dealing face-to-face -face with their problems and the issues. I think that helped make, that is better 
but I think we did just fine uh, uh, tailoring uh, what we did th- uh, during the pandemic and came up with a with an I believe an excellent result. Well, I think I think it makes a lot of sense the way you tailored your response during the pandemic, and let's let's all hope that we're moving we're moving out of that and back to face to face. I do agree with you that that can be most most effective. Yeah, I think you can get more more done quicker if you're if it's if it's face to face. It's just not as awkward. And remember, you're talking about cultural changes. It's never easy, but it's easier if you're dealing with people directly rather than. Uh, uh, through the technology. That, that's absolutely right. And Bart, thank you so much for sharing that story and sharing your advice. Uh, one of the great leaders in this field and obviously a great, a great mentor and colleague to me. Um, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and talking about uh, monitorships and how to make them successful. Thank you, Julie. Thank you uh, for having me. You do great work and I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. And and thanks to our listening audience for tuning in today. For more information on enhancing your company's compliance culture, please visit our website at guideposttsolutions.com. 